0: Get ready for adventure. Islands of it, man. From the studios to Volcano Bay, this is the Universal Joint, a podcast devoted to all things universal with your host, Jim Hill and Dustin Fuse.
1: Welcome to the Universal Joint podcast. I'm entertainment writer, Jim Hill, and my co-host, Dustin Fuse, and I are recording this podcast on Wednesday, October 2nd. I hate to start a show on a depressing note, but... You forwarded to me this story out of USA Today about, well, do you want to explain about this universal team member?
2: Yeah, so it's, it's everywhere. It's on every sort of uh, local and national. Um, just It's everywhere. You can't avoid it. So mm-hmm. what's happened is there was a universal team member who was fired because during a meet and greet, At the the Lowe's uh, Royal Pacific Resort, they were dressed as Gru. So they were friends with Gru, portraying portraying Gru during, um, and that's despicable me, uh, while working at a character breakfast. So this was back March 23rd. Mm -hmm. We don't know. We're going to classify him as an idiot at this point. That works. That works. He basically went ahead and deliberately formed the OK symbol with his fingers on his right hand while on the left shoulder of a seven-year-old autistic biracial girl.
1: Now, for those of you who don't know, the OK symbol, especially in situations like this, takes on a weird racial connotation, evidently... Uh, if you hold the index finger and the thumb in a certain way, it forms a P, and if you extend the other three fingers out, it forms a W, which somehow in today's world, that's now perceived as a symbol for white power, and ugh, you know. Yeah, it
2: was it was definitely a, an awkward thing, and I think one of the the comments that we've seen online was the fact of oh it was a mistake it was something like that. We, and actually, you you brought up a really good uh, parallel with mm. this you know idea of oh this was a mistake. Mm. This well, that's what I initially thought. It's like
1: somebody's misinterpreting. Or we live in very sensitive times, and I don't know how many of you remember. April of 2004, where yeah. there was a Disney cast member who was actually arrested. They played Tigger in the parks, and this 13-year-old girl and her mom went to guest relations and said that they had been groped in a meet-and-greet at one of the Disney parks. And Disney reached out to the County Sheriff, and they took this cast member away, and it wasn't till. August, right? This actually made it to court, Dustin, and
2: yeah, August. It looks like it was updated, August fourth, two thousand and four,
1: right? And I remember uh, from the court case, you know, because Disney didn't want Tigger to be in court, but they wanted to show how this costume—it was very difficult to see inside of it uh, to see what you, where your hands are placed or that sort of thing. They actually you know, the, the costuming department of Walt Disney World painted a Tigger outfit solid black, and then put a performer in it in court and just explained that, you know, through these eyes, through, you know, the, where the eyes are positioned in the head, this is all I can see. And so, you know, if I accidentally touched this 13-year-old girl in an inappropriate way, it was unintentional. So that case got dismissed. Whereas this family at this character breakfast at Lowe's Royal Pacific Hotel, they have a cell phone video of their daughter meeting with Gru in a minion, and
2: will you describe it, Dustin? It was a conscious decision mm-hmm. by this team member, the person who was portraying Gru, to change from putting their hand on the shoulder to all of a sudden putting this symbol up. It, you can actually tell because the character goes from hand on shoulder to you can see the, the conscious decision of just putting the symbol out there. Mm. And I think that was where everyone has decided that there's accidents. Mm. And then this was not an accident, which is why universal Orlando resort Mm. took the appropriate response Mm -hmm. and fired the individual. And more to the point that they released this statement, Uh, this is Tom
1: Schroeder, the the VP of communications put it out. We never want our guests to experience what this family did. This is not acceptable, and we are sorry, and we are taking steps to make sure nothing like this happens again. We can't discuss specifics of the incident, but we can confirm that the actor no longer works here. We remain in contact with the family and will work with them privately to make this right. I'm glad to be able to share that part of the story. But, geez, I mean, think about how families save for years Mm -hmm. to have this sort of vacation experience in Orlando, and some bozo in a suit thinks, well, I'm going to be funny, cute, or edgy, or slip something in here. And I think the USA Today story was talking about the fact that Here's the little girl who wants to take the photos of her time with Gru in for show and tell, and the family's like, "No, no, can't do that." So yeah, uh, kind of breaks your heart. Let's go from real life monsters in today's world to make believe monsters who thankfully only live on the big screen or in theme park attractions. And I'm of course talking about all the dinosaurs found in the Jurassic World films. Is it just me, Dustin, or is like? NBC Universal working overtime right now to keep the Jurassic World franchise front of mind. Well, first of all, did you see Battle at Big Rock, the film that debuted on FX last week and I guess now is available for downloading on JurassicWorld.com?
2: Yeah, it was, it was breathtaking. It was something that when you said, you need to watch this, I was like, oh, okay. And it, it was something that, you know, just my recommendation for anyone, just Check it out online. Mm-hmm. And that way you'll know what we're talking about and why it's so impactful within the universe. And
1: without giving too much away, I wonder how many little girls are gonna ask for crossbows for Christmas this year. <laughs> so that arrives. And and let's remember, we are twenty months out from Jurassic World 3. And yet we just had news drop. Earlier this week, about folks from the Jurassic Park films who are coming back for Jurassic World Three,
2: and it was it was really fun to see how they made the announcement. Colin Trevorrow was talking with Laura Dern on stage and basically said, "You know, it would be r- really great if I got a chance to come back, but I want to bring my friends with me." So it was it was really fun to see the idea of not just Jeff Goldblum because he made an appearance on the last mm-hmm. Fallen Kingdom, exactly, and now Sam Neill who. They've all kind of interspersed in the Jurassic Park slash Jurassic World franchise. Like Sam Neill was in the third one, which most people don't remember Jurassic Park 3. Mm. All you have to do is go to the bargain bin at Walmart. Um, (laughs) And then you have the idea that these characters are being brought back into a world that they helped create but also helped destroy. It'll be fun.
1: You were just pointing out that it's not just... Sam and Laura and and Jeff
2: that are coming back, but the but the kids. Yeah. So according to reports, Joseph Mazzello and Ariana Richards. Mm-hmm. Most people won't know them by name, but they will definitely remember the the kids mm-hmm. from the original Jurassic Park, Lex and Tim. Mm-hmm. And there's been talk about bringing them back as well. Now, granted, they're no longer kids to the extent that Lex actually just celebrated or Ariana Richards just celebrated her 40th birthday. Thanks for making me feel old. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it'll be interesting to see who else they can bring back mm-hmm. into Jurassic World 3 and how they're going to kind of adapt this other world, other Jurassic Park into this uh, this uh, cast. Now, uh, speaking of adapting
1: uh, uh, Jurassic World, a brand new Jurassic World based enterprise is is has been launched out into the world, and this is the Jurassic World Live Tour, which uh, had its premiere at the Shotenstein Arena in Columbus, Ohio, uh, late last month, and. This one, I have to say, Dustin, fascinates me because it's a collaboration between Universal Brand Development Mm -hmm. and Feld Entertainment. Now, you were just talking about Feld is doing this with Universal because of its relationship with Disney. How many different shows do they do for, um, you know?
2: Well, we were going through. So it's, uh, they've got Monster Jam. They've got Disney on Ice. Mm-hmm. They've got Disney Live, Marvel Universe Live, Sesame Street Live, mm-hmm. Trolls Experience. But most people don't remember. And mm-hmm. if you do, all the power to you. Um, Feld was behind the Ringling Brothers Circus. Yeah. So it's it's a weird little, like, going back in time to see how this... Mm-hmm company has basically owned and operated this arena show playground for such a long time that, you know, the things that they're producing right now, mm-hmm. they used to do other things. Yeah. When
1: they got out of the circus business, all of these arenas suddenly had holes in their schedules and mm-hmm. the Feld organization had all of these employees that they needed projects to work on. So the way they described the show, it features a herd of life size dinosaurs, some of them 40 feet long. They'll be coming to life through a mix of sophistic- sophisticated animatronics and performer-operated suits, which, I'm sorry, Dustin, that sounds very familiar to me. Like,
2: say, Walking with Dinosaurs,
1: the arena show, familiar?
2: Yeah, it's, um, all you have to do is go on on YouTube and do a little, little search, and you'll be like, oh, I've seen this before. <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean, and that show dates all the way back the very first one uh, originated in Australia back in January of 2007, and as recently as December of last year, 2018. Yeah, 2018. yeah they were in the SSE Arena, Wembley in, in London. So, Walking with Dinosaurs is still a thing, still out there, mm-hmm. and here comes Jurassic World Live Tour. Thanks to the use of a state-of-the-art projection map system. If you're attending a presentation of Jurassic World live tour, it'll feel like you're right there on Isla Nubar. So I'm hoping that we have some Universal Joint listeners out there who managed to make it to the show. Because as we're recording this, uh, the show's now at the Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse in Cleveland, Ohio. It then mm-hmm. leaves for there for the Times Union Center in Albany. It's, it's uh, there October 10th through the 13th. And... Then continues on to Buffalo, and late October, it's at the PPG Paints Arena in, in Pittsburgh. So mm-hmm. we've already had a pretty crazy year, Jurassic World-wise. ride yeah. We had the Jurassic World the ride open at Universal Studios Hollywood. I think you were the one who came across that trademark for the VelociCoaster, the new thrill ride that... That's already under construction at Islands of Adventure, or you know, right down by the waterfront there, and by the lagoon. But
2: yeah, and we'll we'll get to see that um, in about a month. But it's it's interesting walking through that area, and you know, all the the folks who are incredibly good at documenting construction. I have done especially over on YouTube. They've done a great job of just showcasing the different angles and the different uh construction speeds where there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes mm-hmm. before something like this can go vertical. And we're seeing that actually on the the West Coast and where there's really nothing to talk about until we start hearing things through uh, official channels. But the um, the Nintendo stuff going vertical in the back lot right now, it's just one of those things where you look and you're like, oh, there is a structure coming to life right in front of us. And folks who are who work team members who work at Universal uh, Studios Hollywood are like, yeah, it's been ongoing for a number of years now. Mm-hmm. And it's because there's so much planning that goes into it. So oh, oh, absolutely, we still don't know what's going to happen with uh, the Velocicoaster. But as soon as Universal flicks that switch mm-hmm. and says, here's everything, here's the POV that we've come up with on the computer, here's the wording, here's how we're going to describe the ride vehicles, it'll be fun to see how Jurassic Park can compete with Jurassic World in that same section, or if they just... Call it all Jurassic World. Yeah, we still don't
1: know about whether or not that rebranding of this specific land of Jurassic uh, or or Island's Adventure is in the work. And and again, again, the irony is that if we look ahead to 2020, we have Jurassic World Camp Cretaceous, that animated series for Netflix. And I wonder, Dustin, as we stand here and see all this stuff coming at us, by the time June 2021 rolls around and we finally, you know, Jurassic World has arrived in theaters, is all of this stuff going to have wet our appetite, or are we going to be like, I'm good, I'm 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 full. I don't actually need to see your movie. I've seen so much Jurassic World stuff at this point that let me guess, the dinosaurs eat somebody, <laughs> you know. So speaking of looking ahead to the future, we have talked repeatedly. About the Epic Universe, the Universal Orlando's fourth theme park, which, based on what the uh, Orlando Business Journal just reported, I guess got a little bit bigger, right? They did a land purchase, is that correct, over the last couple of days? Or?
2: Yeah, so it looks like a new permit was filed with the state to show that Universal is preparing for stormwater needs of the future theme mm-hmm. park site. We're building a theme park in Florida. Stuff mm-hmm. like that happens. Okay. But what they're doing is. Orange County is working with Universal to fund an estimated 250 to $300 million mm-hmm. on a 1.7-mile extension of Kirkman Road between Carrier Drive and Universal Boulevard. So this will have nine travel lanes, two dedicated bus lanes. That's honestly not a
1: surprise given what they've got set up from the, again, it's, what are they calling the, 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 the main part of the, yep. it's North Campus, right? North campus, and then middle mid-campus or middle campus. Uh, but, yeah, they use the buses to take for folks from the north campus, the, the main resort mm-hmm. with City Walk and Islands and uh, Studios, over to Endless Summer. And, again, I keep hearing from folks who are staying at Endless Summer that it takes them less time from the transportation hub to get back to their hotel. A lot of these folks have tried Cabana Bay. And they're like, I'm getting back to my hotel room faster at Endless Summer on the other side of of I-4
2: than it took me to get back to Cabana Bay. But what was interesting is this next thing. So the the two dedicated bus lanes, that makes sense. Mm But bike lanes? Well, again,
1: this is, you know, we live in a green world and you can actually go to the website. Universal is green. This is how you earn those tax credits. Now, (laughs) uh, pivoting back, you know, okay, so that's work that's being done now. There's no solid info yet on an opening date for the fourth park, but it's bubbled up from a couple of different sources that 2024 looks quite likely. And so the, the question then is, well, what's, what's in park four? What ride shows and attractions are in the mix? And a couple of times now, we've heard that How to Train Your Dragon, that, that there's going to be a How to Train Your Dragon land in Epic yep. Universe, and... That sounded like a great idea till How to Train Your Dragon: Hidden World came out this past summer, Dustin. Which I don't know if you got to saw it, uh, see it during its its run in the theaters. It's it's recently come out on Blu Ray and DVD. But that movie ends with all of the dragons leaving Burke and and literally going to the the hidden world, which is this. It's a can only be accessed through this this hole in the ocean that then takes you into this dragon-friendly cave space at the center of the Earth. And that does kind of put you in an interesting spot if you're somebody who's working at Universal Creative, because it's like, okay, there are no dragons left in the world. How do we build you know, an exciting time about going to Berk if there are no dragons left? And you tripped over an interesting copyright that I think kind of explains that.
2: Yeah, so it's a, a DreamWorks How to Train Your Dragon Homecoming. So when we did that, uh, the deep dive under Homecoming, and apparently it's been discussed a, a, a little bit over the last uh, few months, but How to Train Your Dragon Homecoming is an upcoming holiday special mm-hmm. that will be released in late 2019. It actually goes back to February 12th of 2019 when Jay Baruchel dropped that there is a hint of a holiday short mm-hmm. in an Instagram story. So it was basically an eight-second clip of him in the sound booth recording lines about a, a uh pageant. And then in uh, June of 2019, at the... Annecy Film Festival, Mm -hmm. there is a confirmation that a holiday special was coming to fans. Dean de Blas, he talked about all this information coming out, but the interview was in French. But the English translation was, apart from perhaps a special episode for the holiday season, there is, to my knowledge, no other project in development. You have your How to Train Your Dragon Homecoming, and Mm -hmm. I can't really get
1: into great detail here, but if you folks understand that the, the conceit of the Wizarding World of, of Harry Potter is that if, if when you, you walk through the arch and enter Hogsmeade Village, or when you go through the wall there and you're in Diagon Alley, you're there the one day that uh, these are open to muggles. In fact, that's the, the whole story behind that sign in Hogsmeade Village about mind the spell limit? Yes. If you somehow do the wrong bit of magic in the Wizarding World, it will revert back to the old version of the Lost Continent with the Royal Oak Tavern and Merlin Wood. So don't do that, folks. That would be bad. Although we would get the Dueling Dragons back. Well, that's an interesting point. (laughs) But speaking of dragons, supposedly the conceit with the version of Burke that they're going to be building at Epic Universe is the notion of, yes, the dragons have gone off to the hidden world, but sometimes some of them come back to visit with us. In fact, that's kind of the workaround. Remember, if any of you who saw The Hidden World, when the movie starts, Burke has been overrun with dragons. There were literally hundreds of them there. Just replicating that's just not going to be physically possible in a theme park environment. But if you, if you happen to be there and a day, well, oh, a couple of them came back. Hey, Would you like to get your picture taken with Toothless or his friends? Um, They're right here. (laughs) Please buy merch. Please. Here's some merch. Have fun. And speaking of of things coming back, when we get back from this commercial break, we are going to have something truly special for all of you Halloween horror fans out there. I know that when people do Halloween Horror Nights at the Universal Orlando Resort, they tend to concentrate on the mazes and the scare zones inside of Universal Studios, uh, uh, Florida, which is understandable. They're great. They they do some wonderful work there. But I'm going to make a weird suggestion, folks. If you do this year's event, especially if you're a Stranger Things fan, you have to make plans to get over
2: to the Cabana Bay Resort.
1: Dustin, have you heard about what they're doing over there?
2: Yeah, I am incredibly excited for it. It looks like what they're doing is bringing Stranger Things into a, a themed pop-up at the resort. Mm-hmm. So you can get your picture taken with... What is it? So it's in the Byers family yeah. room, which is great. Well, if you
1: remember from the first season of the show, you know, where the mom was, was basically communicating with the son through Christmas lights that were on top of pieces of paper with ABCD and numbers and that sort of thing. But they've replicated the living room. You can actually sit on the couch as the Christmas lights behind you, you know, I think spell out Happy Halloween Horror Nights or something to that effect. If, on the other hand, you're a fan of the third season, you can actually get behind the counter at the Scoops Ahoy, that cheesy ice cream parlor that was in the
2: mall. I've seen some of the photos from this, and... Oh, my God, this is hilarious. This is just great. that hat does not work for most heads.
1: (laughs) Anyway, speaking of food, if you're, and forgive me, this is just too good a piece of PR writing not to use. If you're up for late bites after a night full of frights, you should head over to the Cabana Bay Bayliner Diner, the food court there at at this, this moderate resort. Because what's interesting on the nights that Halloween Horror Nights is being held they're holding Bayliner Diner open till—it it sort of keys off of when the event closes. Sometimes it stays open to two. Sometimes it stays open to three. You can head over there and, you know, hang out with your pals and look back on the evening that you just spent at Halloween Horror Nights while, while getting something to
2: eat. That was really funny with the, the four late bites. Yes. After a night, night full of—that's, you know, $10 right there. Whoever, whoever created that is just like, good on you, P.R., All
1: right. Now, speaking of Halloween Horror Nights, folks, do Dustin and I have a trick-or-treat for you this time? Given that this is the 29th year that uh, this hard-ticket event has been presented at the Universal Orlando Resort, well, I thought you folks might want to know what was it like to be at the very first event, which was held back in October of 1991. So I got on the phone earlier this week with a very good friend and... Well, here's a, a recording of that call. Mr. Schneider, always a pleasure to talk with you. I always learn so much about theme park history whenever we chat.
3: I think I was going to say exactly the same to you. <laughs> uh, so, all right.
1: Well, Ron, let, let's just jump into it now. Okay, so the very first Halloween Horror Nights at Universal Florida, again, I keep getting that name wrong here, Uh very first one, one was called Fright Nights, right? And Yep. Uh, held during the uh, theme park's second year of operation, 1991, rather than the fall of 1990, uh, which was, of course, right after uh, Universal Studios Florida first opened uh, in, in June of that year. So why did they they wait a year for the first Halloween event?
3: Well, park uh, operations uh, had their hands full just getting the park up and running. Uh-huh. Uh, the uh, As everybody seems to know, the opening day uh most of the... Major attractions were not working reliably.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, you had a lot of
3: dissatisfied guests and a long line outside of guest relations asking for refunds. Everybody got free tickets so they could come back a second time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, the, uh, the that I was uh, creative supervisor for the celebrity lookalikes, mm-hmm. and my people were out on the streets and uh, and having a ball. We were, well, speaking and, of which. we were left alone.
1: It's the summer of 91. I think you said it was July. You get a call from somebody high up in MCA Recreation the folks who are, are in charge of the Universal Theme Parks who is that you talked with?
3: some massacre in New York. And those mm-hmm. are
1: the two assignments I got. This is July. You have three months to deliver this. And you do have, you know, a couple of, of aces. As you mentioned, you know, you had the Bates Motel, which, uh, you know, it, kind of interesting, they had built both the Psycho House, a recreation of the Psycho House. In fact, I, I remember, didn't they have to, you know, because Florida, this, when they bought the, the Universal Studios property, it was ridiculously flat. So they had to mound up all of this earth just to create a hill to put the Psycho House on. And then uh, below the Psycho House, they then built the base Motel. And this was used, I want to say, in 1990 to film uh, Psycho 4, right? Um, That's
0: right. This was yeah. set for Psycho 4.
1: Okay. So... All right, you've got those to work with. You, you know, you, you've got these physical plants, and but again, you you mentioned that you know what Jay had in mind was you know a, you know sort of a celebrity graveyard off to the side. So you do a first pass, you send that out to to Hollywood, and what happens?
3: Uh, well, my idea was to uh, I went out. And uh, scoped out the area
0: mm-hmm. And
3: this little sidewalk area We had the capacity for maybe 40 people mm-hmm. uh, There was a little uh, area That we could do a graveyard I thought, hey, I'll stick Beetlejuice out there Talking about the graves, that'll be funny mm-hmm. And if you look straight up, in front of you There was the Bates Mansion looming on the hill In front of us, mm-hmm. and I thought uh, I needed some kind of big finish for this thing So I thought, I'll run a cable, mm-hmm. from Mother
1: was never intended to be a performance area. This was a movie set. You know, For again, for Psycho 4 and you had the Psycho house in the background. So, you know, it's one thing when you set up a venue for shows that are going to happen all the time, but for something like this that's only supposed to happen for three nights, I mean, you had to schlep in what? Temporary uh, bleachers that were then set up in front of the, the Bates Motel. I, likewise, you're kind of in a uh, Hippocratic Oath situation you know in that you know the the old you know first do no harm because you know once this event is over the Bates Motel still has to be in place for guests to be able to see it when they come and visit Universal Studios Florida but but you made two very interesting requests of, of the folks at the park in regard to, to graves in front of the, the, the Bates Motel can you talk a little bit about that? Well one of
3: the ideas I had was that uh, Beetlejuice would of course it's coming out of the ground uh-huh. and i wanted to do something with a chainsaw wielding maniac that we would kill several times and the last time i wanted to blow him up uh-huh. and we really finished him off good uh-huh. so i went to the people who were in, in charge of the ground and all the technical things
0: uh-huh. and i made
3: all sorts of demands like you say for lighting and sound effects
0: uh-huh.
3: and, and staging and uh, i said listen uh, can i have two tunnels that will run from inside the motel down to right in front of the audience. Um, Actually, it was one tunnel that kind of branched off into a second grave, but there were two open graves in front of the audience. They couldn't see
1: point, I want to say Ron Bent It says so much about this show that you know, here we are, some 28 years later, and we're still talking about this thing. Can you can you sort of do a Reader's Digest version of of what this this you know initial graveyard review was like? Uh,
3: glad to. The, um, the thing that I've always believed about theme parks is you deal creatively with what your operational realities are. So mm-hmm. whatever you.
1: basically forced i mean it was a, a three performance schedule per night schedules i remember and you were forced because the line was so long and there was such demand to add a fourth show that night right oh yeah here's the show that people are going absolutely nuts over that you work so hard on ron and yet you never got to see it with an audience and can, can you explain why well i saw the first performance like, oh, okay i, I got to say that mm-hmm. but
3: uh, over in the New York area, we had a show uh, with Truckosaurus, and um, they needed someone to narrate that, so I got called away and wound up narrating the Truckosaurus shows in New York. So I only got to see one or two performances of the Bates Motel show, but uh, thank God we had the uh, this wonderful video. Uh-huh. Uh, one of the girls who worked with us shot.
1: that the Universal Studios Florida's Halloween Horror Nights became famous for its Bill and Ted Halloween adventures. Um, but this, this show that you created, Ron, really creates the template for that. And one of the things that it did especially well, I mean, again, you describe uh, you know the, the, the maniac being knifed in the chest by Norman Bates or being shot with a, a shotgun by Elwood Blues. But, but again, it's cartoon. In fact, that that's the thing that that, you know it's it's very stylized, uh, you know, you know, very cartoony. In fact, I I love how you kind of settled on that moment. Can can you talk about the the search for the the proper non sequitur? Of course, that's a that's a great quote from the Chuck Jones cartoon uh, Rabbit Seasoning, and and again, I just but again, I love that it, it's a cartoon quote and helps set up the, the sort of cartoony feel, which of course you know because you got Beetlejuice in the mix series, is you're halfway home anyway. But speaking of, of great individual gags, can you please talk about? I mean, again, you mentioned at the top of this interview how you. You did some some incidental writing on the the one maze that they had up and running uh, for this you know the, the, the very first Fright Night, but again they and they constructed it in and around the queue of the Jaws to the ride over in Amity, and I, I think you mentioned that there, there was one particular uh, Universal employee who did did an amazing job with the space you know the uh, I'm blanking the name here but uh, it was there we go uh, but you know, even then it needed a button it needed something to just put it over the top and and so they came to you Can so can you talk about you know what the, the gag you said a lot to sort of put the button on this one Fright Night, is is there anything else that sticks out to you about this particular event?
3: The fact that it was completely us. Mm
1: -hmm.
3: It was all of us in Florida uh, working together to create something out of nothing, Mm -hmm. out of plywood and costumes that we had and talent that we had and just dealing with it all creatively.
1: Let's not forget, you wrote a second show. For the first Fright Night. Can you talk a little bit about how you you delivered on Jay Stein's request for a chainsaw massacre? that it's it's so dark and funny but it, it, it plays on the audience's expectations anyway Mr. Scheiner I could sit here all day and listen to the theme park history stories like this from you and speaking of people are actually going to have the chance to do that relatively soon you've got an event coming up sounds like I can't miss. Thank you so much for making the time today to talk to us about the very first Friday Night. Thank you, Jim. Wasn't that great? These are the exact sorts of stories that Dustin and I intend to share with event attendees who take part in our holidays at Universal event, which is going to be held this year on site there on November 15th through the 18th. Now, over the course of this four-day-long event, we're going to be taking theme park fans on a walking tour of Universal Studios Florida and Universal Studios Islands Adventure. Uh, we're going to be doing seasonal-specific stuff, like taking part in a presentation of Universal's Holiday Parade featuring Macy's, not to mention taking in a performance of Grinchmas' Hooliday Spectacular over at Island's. Dustin and I will also be sharing all sorts of behind-the-scenes stories of, about the creation of the Universal Lander Resort. Plus, you're gonna to get to sit in on a live recording of the Universal Joint
2: Podcast. So how's this? If you tweet the keyword, Elwood, we just picked up that keyword off the, uh, the great Universal Fright Night story that Rob Schneider just shared with Jim. Tweet that keyword, Elwood to at Jim Hill Media as a direct message. We will then enter you into a drawing for a three-night stay for two people at the Low Sapphire Falls Resort at Universal Orlando for the Universal Joint Experience, the uh, the podcast event that we're doing from November 15th through until the 18th. Now, please be certain it's a direct message to at Jim Hill Media. Otherwise, you won't be entered in this drawing. Now, please note that the winner is responsible for their own travel accommodation. So you have to pay for your flight down yep. there.
1: Uh, more importantly, none of this would be possible without the help of the kind folks at Storybook Destinations. So please head over to dot storybookdestinations.com slash Disney Dish. where you can learn even more about what we've got planned
2: for this on-site event, which again is being held November 15th through the 18th. The drawing for this contest will be held Wednesday, October 16th, which is just around the corner. We'll tweet our lucky winner, who will then be awarded tickets to the parks and a hotel room for the length of the Universal joint event, plus entry into all of the tours and the live podcast. All they'll have to do is find their own way down to Universal Orlando Resort. Now, the official rules for this contest are
1: posted over at jimhillmedia.com. If you have any technical questions about the contest, and again, the key word for today's show is Elwood. And uh, speaking of seasonal shows at the Universal Park, geez, Dustin, we did it again! We got Ron Schneider to talk about the very first Fright Night at Universal Orlando, but never once talked about any of the mazes of the scare zones that can be found at this year's event. I guess we'll have to cover that on the next edition of
2: the Universal Joint Podcast. But until that show goes live, where else can folks find you online? So I'm over at uh, steps to magic.com. It's universal and Disney trip planning, advice and ideas and things you can do while you're down at Walt Disney World and Universal. I also have a, a another podcast, so it's the We Like Theme Parks podcast. Basically just a, a, a few guys getting together and talking about how they like theme parks. So that's where I'm at. And uh, I know that you're up to, what, seven, eight, 276 mm-hmm. podcasts on your end. <laughs> I think at this point, uh, what's the same number as Pi? <laughs> got Disney Dish
1: with Lentesta, we got Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor. We got Looking at Lucasfilm mm-hmm. with Dan Zayer. The Marvelous uh, Disney Show, which is... I do with Aaron Adams, and uh, we're also doing our I Want That Show, which is about Disney merch, which, given that we're just a couple of days away from Triple Force Friday, that show's going to be long. (laughs) Yep. Anyway, uh, speaking of shows, folks, if you could do myself and Dustin a favor here, if you could head over to iTunes and rate and recommend our shows, that helps us get additional eyeballs. Likewise, if you really, really, really like what we do here, head over to Bandcamp and subscribe. And I guess for now, that will do it, Dustin. Though, again, we we have to get back together soon and get that, that Halloween Horror Night show record, show recorded before this season ends, so. Yeah, sounds good. Okay, cool. All right, we'll, we'll do that then, folks. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon. It's been Groovy
3: having you hang with us for the Universal Joint. Tune in again for this and
0: other great podcasts found on the Jim Hill Media Network.